This podcast is brought to you by the Dunfield Retirement Residence, a casually elegant retirement community located at Young and Eglinton in the heart of Midtown Toronto. Customized living options complement your independent, active lifestyle. Learn more at thedunfield.com. This is Bonjour Chai, the Hanukkah, Chrismica, Swastika edition. I'm Avi Fongold in Montreal. I'm here with Alana Zakon in Montreal and Davis Klar in Calgary. We are your Frozen Chosen. On today's show, we're talking about symbols and stuff. Is stuff symbolic? Who knows? Where did all this Hanukkah merch come from and what does it even mean? And here I am bearing the lead, but the swastika, it may not be as sinister as you think. Is it time to rethink its place in society? We talked to Rabbi Yael Buckler and David Svikalman to learn about the dreidels, ugly Hanukkah sweaters, and all the stuff that makes our holidays festive. And Reverend TK Nakagaki tells us about the origins of the swastika and how we should think about it today. Before we get into any of that, we want to tell you about a live CJN event, though. Uh, the launch of the winter issue of the CJN magazine is taking place in Toronto next Thursday night, December 15th, at the Poslins Theatre in the Prosserman JCC. It'll be a great opportunity to meet all of your favorite CJN folks. We have a great program lined up for the evening. Admission is free. I'll be there. I cannot wait to see you all. It's next Thursday night, December 15th at Prosserman JCC. It's the launch of the Hanukkah issue of the print magazine of the CJN. Now let's get to the show right after we hear from our sponsor. Are you in the market for a new watch or a special piece of jewelry? Are you looking for the perfect engagement ring to pop the question? Atelier Lou has all this and more. Eric and the team at Atelier Lou can craft a piece for you, or you can select from some of the exclusive designers that they offer. From a simple bangle to a statement necklace, Atelier Lou can make you or your loved ones sparkle. Located in the heart of Westmount in Montreal or online at atelierlou.com, visit Atelier Lou for your next watch or jewelry purchase. And when you do, make sure to use promo code BON18 for 10% off your next purchase. That's atelierlou.com. So for those of you who think that the swastika was the product of some graphic designer toiling away in the basement of their Führer's headquarters and created to be the graphic face of Nazism, you're in for a surprise. The symbol we see and reflexively recoil at has its roots thousands of years ago as a sign of well-being and hope. It has been used and continues to be used by Hindus, Buddhists, Jains, and many other Eastern traditions as a sacred symbol in homes and temples, and lately it has come under greater scrutiny because of the desire to maintain its sacredness and the ability to be used by adherents in public spaces. But this usage does not come without controversy, of course, and legal challenges, since it is still recognized and used as a potent symbol of hate. And the nuance of the good swastika versus Hitler's Hakenkreuz, or hooked cross, is lost on many people. With us to talk about this is the Reverend Dr. T. Kenjitsu Nakagaki. He is a Buddhist priest, the former president of the Buddhist Council of New York, and the author of The Buddhist Swastika and Hitler's Cross, Rescuing a Symbol of Peace from the Forces of Hate. Reverend T.K., welcome to Bonjour Chai. Thank you. Can you start by just telling us some of the history and symbolism behind the swastika? So I'm originally from Japan. So the first of all, for me, the swastika or the manji in Japanese words. And uh, in Japan, of course, that came with the Buddhism. So the swastika for me means Buddhism, basically. The Buddha or the Buddhist texts and oh, anything about the Buddhism is a swastika or the manji in Japan. So like I even go to the, you know, map, everything, you know, like a Shinto shrine and so forth. If you see the Buddhist temple, always you see the manji or swastika on the map. The swastika appears on the chest of the Buddha and 
uh, the meaning itself is the Buddha's enlightenment, and then with, which is actually exactly the same way for the original swastika, possibly in you know, Hinduism, in, from India. That's uh, su means you know to to be good actually, and then asti is uh, like to be, so you know to be good, and then ka means uh, make a noun form. So swastika means everything, anything, everything about the good thing. And uh, auspicious symbol in uh, Hindu traditions. And when did you first know that it also became associated with Nazism and Hitler? And what was your first experience when, when sort of maybe that was what it was like in America, when people said, no, no, this is a symbol of hate. It's not a symbol of peace and prosperity for us. Uh, we do have a distinction in Japan. Meaning, when I was when I grew up, of course, the we know which is uh, Hitler's cross, and then which is a uh, uh, Buddhist uh, symbol, because we have two words, swastika in a good one is uh, called manji, and then swastika shaped like uh, Hitler's is called hakenkreuzu, or the hooked cross. And then, uh, first of all, the turn is different: left turn versus right turn. And uh, most of the Japanese is a left turn. And then also there's no 45 degree or tilted things, but rather kind of firm. So actually, you know, we don't mix up. <laughs> How do you think one could uh, try to blend these two things together where we have a world where this is considered a very potent symbol of, of hatred um, and a world where this is a potent sacred symbol? Do you think that there's a possibility for these two to coexist for um, people who have historically seen this as a very um, bad symbol to come to understand that in some cases it is not that intention and that there should be some places and uh, where this is allowed and even celebrated to be able to put, to be put up. Yeah, I think it's possible to make a distinction because we we make a distinction between sultan, I mean the salt and sugar. You know, it looks the same, but we don't mix up with those mm -hmm. two, right? I mean simply the well, I had, know, looks like I worked same. in a kitchen once and I had a chef that made that mistake once and it was oh, okay. it wasn't a fun so, afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. So you you can tell by the taste, right? So no, I, I think it's an first of all, because uh, it shouldn't mix up with uh, two things because these are two different history. Like a swastika is being at least a five thousand years or so, you know, the, even known among the Buddhist two thousand years we've been using as a good symbol. But then the problem is people don't teach the, this particular symbol, the history and so forth. And uh, because one of the reasons that this swastika become popular or Hitra or everybody else you start using is because of the 19th century. Uh, Henry Schurman, you know, found, went to the Troy right, excavation. And then the, they found the one symbol, swastika, many places, all over the place. They asked for the linguists and so forth. And then that the was introduced as a symbol, uh, which is uh, connecting to the east and west. It's a wonderful symbol. It's uh, like uh, the, there are four L's, like, I mean, love, light, life, luck, is the way that then uh, they introduce. And then the, during the wartime, of course, uh, they start using as the actually cross. You know, it's not, the swastika is nothing to do with the cross. But the anti-Semitism is something to do with a cross. So when you say hooked cross, Hakenkreuz, that's a cross. But in terms of uh, Eastern tradition, swastika itself is always nothing to do with uh, anti-Semitism. It's not a cross. 
So in your community, have you struggled with outside people assuming that they are the same thing personally? Is that something that you're own community that you've lived through have experienced because I think that the biggest missing piece and I, I hear you and I hear the history but when you have people that they can't distinguish the difference how do you make sure that both communities are getting what they need and and you have the original version that's some, completely different and it means peace but then there there's this other I, thing I understand. Yeah, you see so, what I'm saying because I have been the other way around meaning like I mean, first, when I came to the United States, when I encountered the first swastika is the one that I, I was preparing the Buddha's birthday. And then I make a swastika shape with a flower. <laughs> then the you know, members came to say, well, this is not Japan. You know, you can't use this here because, you know, this means, you know, Hagen Kreutz, basically Hitler's cross. So and then then I that's the time actually I realized, oh, this is the United States. So we shouldn't, you know, and then plus I don't want it make people feel you know hurting or feel very you know stressed i mean hate whatever the feeling bad feeling about that so uh what i did was actually oh after i you know after that particular incident <laughs> i started learning more of the detail of the you know holocaust incidents and everything and history and uh so uh, so this is a yeah important lesson that I should know that uh, you know this in this country I shouldn't use swastika because if you use it people feel uncomfortable. So I haven't used it for actually twenty five years. <laughs> but I'll pose this to everyone here on the panel right now. To my mind, immediately thinks okay if we're going to introduce this peaceful symbol to the larger public, I immediately think that some neo Nazis are going to co opt this message and sort of say no 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 this isn't a hate symbol it's peace it's beautiful but there's you know and they're still hiding behind what they want to accomplish their goals of racism or anti semitism. That's that's like a wicked mind. But then the one that one for me I went to the lecture interface gathering on a hate crime sponsored by uh, uh, Interface Center of New York. And then we have some expert came and then talk about uh, different things. And then one of the speaker, the so-called expert of the speaker said, swastika is a universal symbol evil. And then the, I simply asked the question, what, you know, what do you mean by universal symbol evil? Here we have Hindu, Buddhist, you know, Native Americans. We use the symbol as a good meaning. Why do you say that's a universal symbol of evil? I mean, I understand, you know, right, like uh, if it's a West, that's fine. I mean, that's the way that I feel because, you know, global community, global globalization we're talking about, we should be able to respect other culture. What do they mean? They don't know anything but bad you know, evil swastika. You know, that if even some people went to the other country, like Asia, you know, even uh, then they see the swastika, you know, stuff. But then they say, oh, you can't use this, you know, because this is the, you know, the bad symbol and stuff like that. They start talking about. But then, you know, that's, that's not really nice to be able to do that because it, it is uh, the disrespect to the other culture. So in one way, what I'm trying to bring is just a simply the dialogue. It's not, you know, I don't deny what happened and it has been used. Many things are used before. So that's why I, I need to know also that, you know, how can we possible to, you know, fix it or to be able to understand or communicate? Well, if it's a purely think of the symbol itself, how the symbol can be seen really? I mean, it's like all four places connected. 
you know, four seasons, four elements of the universe. This is actually the shape of the universe, actually, you know, the galaxy. So the, it's actually the symbol of the light for many, many human beings also. And then so just understanding that itself is actually, for me, is a very important thing. And then plus, Hitler never said swastika, first of all. He always, that's only translation, okay? So he always said Hakenkreuz. And the swastika is totally different things. So that's why I, you know, the first of all, words, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, words doesn't matter, but the words really matters. <laughs> that's why you can have a sugar versus, you know, uh, uh, what is, salt, right? <laughs> For the same one. So first of all, what my suggestion is uh, really like, a, you know, when you see the swastika as an evil kind of way to they use, uh, actually that has to be called Hakenkreuz or Fukut Cross. Never call swastika that way. The swastika is a good symbol because, you know, by definition, su means good, as I said. That's a Sanskrit term. You know, Sanskrit is the words that you're using it. And then the, it should belong to Sanskrit people who speak. So, you know, that you don't want it messed up with the other people's language. So, first of all, for me, is a make a clear distinction. You know, and then the, so that way, maybe you can start seeing differently. Thank you so much for being with us here today. Uh, we'd love to hear what you thought. Uh, drop us a line at bonjour at the cjn.ca and give us your thoughts. Over the past week alone, I have been in all sorts of regular stores, not Judaica stores, not stores that sell Jewish books or anything like that, or Jewish grocery stores like Indigo, Winners, and stuff like that. I have encountered the following items. Mugs with the phrases, Joy They and Let's Get Lit. A greeting card with Falalalatke on the front. Uh, a mini waffle maker that presses an image of a dreidel into your waffle and with Boom Shaka Latke printed on the box. And of course, this being Hanukkah, a scented candle with the festival of lights on the label and an approximate burn time of 56 hours, which is far too long for use as a shamash, far too short uh, for eight whole days. Um, where did all this Hanukkah merch come from? More importantly, what does it all mean? Right? Is it just more late stage capitalism? Is it simply trying to drown out Christmas? Is there something kosher we can derive from all of this chazarai? Joining us are two individuals, each with their own connection to Judaism's material culture and hopefully with some insights into all of these products. Rabbi Yael Buckler is a rabbi at the Leffel School in White Plains, New York, and the founder of Midrash Manicures. And David Svi Kalman is scholar in residence and director of New Media at the Shalom Hartman Institute and the owner of Printo Craft Press and KLMN OPS, both of which put out Judaica in physical form. Yael, David Svi, welcome to Bonjour Chai. I have to comment on how Yael showed up wearing a sweater that has little Hanukkiahs on it, a mug and David's, and has two Hanukkiah behind her. You're very I'm prepared, prepared for this prepared theme. for Hanukkah. Can you tell us a little bit more about how we got to where we are now, Yael? I know you wrote about this. Uh, so give us a little history. How did we get from giving gelt that was money to giving gelt that is like the Jewish version of a Christmas present? So we have a lot to thank the advertisers for in helping to elevate Hanukkah in America. Um, in the early 20th century, advertisers placed English and Yiddish advertisements in, um, in different Jewish newspapers across the United States. And early on, these advertisements were encouraging Jews to buy gifts for Hanukkah. 
initially it was it was a deal. You know, if you buy this much coffee, uh, you'll get you know some sugar or some toys for Hanukkah. Uh, eventually, there was even a 1920 ad in the forwards that that was for dental cream. Uh, get dental cream for Hanukkah. That was actually dental cream for kids. The same advertisement um, was promoting perfume for Hanukkah for grownups. So. Everybody wants dental cream for Hanukkah. Exactly. So we we saw a shift um, in the early 1900s, and American Jewish immigrants they came to the country with some ritual items from the old country, but those were dated in terms of decor. And so a lot of Jewish Americans wanted to find modern ways to bring Hanukkah into their home. And before you knew it, by the time of the birth of the millennial generation, of which I am a part, there were a lot of Hanukkah toys for kids. Um, and since then, it's just exploded the market. That's so fascinating. I didn't know any of that. Um, <clears throat> I'll say that I feel like this is part of a story about how you know everyone knows that Hanukkah has been deeply influenced by Christmas and how the holiday of Hanukkah is actually relatively minor and it's kind of grown up and all the gifts and all is all connected to Christmas. Like that's an old story. I think what people don't realize is that that process of Hanukkah kind of coming into alignment with Christmas is actually still happening, um, and it's not. You know, there are there are products that exist this year, like this year there's the mitzvah mousse, some ridiculous thing that um, I'm sure Yael knows more about than I do, um, that reflects the fact that American and Canadian relationship to Christian society, secular society is kind of continuing to change. And as more, um, as there are more intermarried families who are trying to celebrate Christmas and Hanukkah together, as there are maybe a non-Jewish uh, parent who is trying to figure out how do I you know, also educate my kids about Judaism at the same time. Like they're looking for ways of doing something within Judaism that looks more like what they're familiar with, familiar with within Christianity. So it's a kind of developing process and it has certainly not finished. I, I don't know if you remember a, a few years ago. Well, actually, this is a Canadian podcast, so this is probably not relevant. But um, there was a year when um, when Hanukkah intersected with Thanksgiving instead of Christmas. And it was a totally different vibe. And it's never going to happen again. And I kind of regret that. It Can was I just bring great. up the elephant in the room or maybe the mitzvah moose in the room? Um, of the fact that Hanukkah is commemorating a holiday that's about fearing assimilation. Can we talk about that for a second? Because there are so many Jews that I know that are very unaffiliated and Hanukkah is like the only thing that they do. And I don't know if it ever occurs to them what they're actually celebrating. How does that fit into this that whole thing? But also violent nationalism, too. And violent nationalism. They were rebels. They were, you know, extremists, the Maccabees. And we teach little kids, like, be a Maccabee. I think there's just so much to unpack here. Yale, do you want to tackle those questions? Sure. And then <laughs> I definitely want to jump back to Thanksgiving, <laughs> because I do think that that year, 2013, was a significant turning point in, in Hanukkah merchandise. So the Talmud... So has a lot to say about Pursume Nisa, publicizing the miracle. And I think that that fits perfectly into the Hanukkah landscape, that it is a mitzvah to find ways to publicize the miracle. But I think that all of this merchandise enhances that that theme that we see in the Talmud. So so it's not just about, you know, the Maccabees, but there's also another piece to to the Hanukkah story. And I would also add that, that I think Hanukkah already really reinvented itself in Amer in America and I imagine in Canada as well up to the 90s. At this point we're seeing a very strange turn in terms of what the holiday is becoming. 
um, and the merchandise offerings associated with it. But I think that really by the 90s, um, we saw the, the first Hanukkah displays in department stores were the late 80s, early 90s. So it really brought it mainstream. Um, prior to that, you know, it was typically in farm stores or Judaica shops or gift shops as, as part of synagogues. But by the 90s, um, you know, pre-Instagram and pre-TikTok, it was, it was doing pretty well. But I do think there was a significant turning point in the direction of the holiday in terms of this concept of Jewish identity and pride once, once Thanksgiving happened in the States. And at that time, we saw this sudden rise of fast fashion, um, Jewish fast fashion. And it happens that Thanksgiving coincided with the rise of e-commerce. So those were definitely two forces working at the same time. But we saw thousands of T-shirts sold with the Thanksgiving logo on it. And it was this new concept of purchasing for a holiday that that had never existed before. There had been some socks. There had been some some ugly sweaters, not too many. But suddenly there was an opportunity um, in the marketplace. And I, I do think that that served as a turning point. And since Thanksgiving's occurrence, we have seen every possible accessory in the Hanukkah marketplace, including this year for lizards. Very exciting. Oh my God, I saw it last I week. Thought, I ha- I we have a lizard. Too. It was and a, I'm trying to get a, <laughs> my hands on this for our pet lizard. It was very controversial. I have one. I'm happy to to hand it over to you. In- Instagram was not sure how to feel about that lizard. Um, David Svi, I really want to hear your thoughts on this. What do you think about the shift in the merchandise? Is this good or bad for the Jews? Uh, in general, I think it's kind of neutral. Um, people want to buy things. They can buy things. I will say that I'm a little bit complicit in this, uh, in part because... Um, I am a manufacturer of Judaic items, and Hanukkah is my favorite holiday because I love making dreidels. It's my favorite Jewish object of all, um, in part because um, it's so versatile, um, because there's so many ways to make a random number generator. A few years ago, um, I decided to make this thing called a 20-sided dreidel, like the kind of thing you would see in the Dungeons & Dragons game, where you have the same four letters of the dreidel, but iterated five times each so that it functions statistically exactly like a dreidel. I couldn't have made that if it was harder to um, to manufacture things in China. But these days, it's actually pretty simple, um, and it's simple for even like a random person like me who doesn't have like infrastructure, doesn't have any formal connections to China. Um, so I think the barrier to entry for creating objects like this also has had an impact um, in the development of the culture. So actually, if I can jump in there, I think that what you're creating and um, yeah, Elway, you're creating as well, I think, um, in a large part of the types of stuff that you're doing, for example, with Midrash Manicures is fundamentally different than what we think of as like Hanukkah merch, um, which is here is an object and I'm going to recast it because I can think about it in a deeper way. Here is something that I can provide to the Jewish community that will make them rethink or think deeply about the object in which they are engaging with, as opposed to, you know, like I said, a waffle maker that says, you know, boom shaka latka. We're not talking about a latka maker here. It's a waffle maker. So I see, and so there's something fundamentally different about that um, as opposed to this value neutral or even value negative stuff that's coming from China that is designed just to like say, hey, we're having a Hanukkah party. We need to throw a ton of stuff on the tables. How do we do that in a way that like is cheap and easy and is bright and blue and white? 
and so I, I was wondering if maybe you can comment on that neat, uh, that type of merch as opposed to you know something which is thoughtfully crafted and designed, even if it's made in China, um, but it's designed to make you think. Well, prior to Jewish fast fashion and a number of Jewish small businesses really cropping up in the past decade, uh, there were wholesale Judaica you know, distributors, and they had been making um, designs, some of which definitely needed an update. We see a lot of blue and white, and those are still sold in many national chains. But this year, we're seeing the Rugrats. They had Target made, or Nickelodeon through, you know, sold at Target sweatshirts with Rugrats Hanukkah episode on them. We see classical Disney figures on other clothes that are being sold at Target. We see, and I mean, anything that could potentially be considered nostalgic for millennials as selling. That's actually why I made splatter paint themed pajamas because I loved spin art as a kid. Um, but again, there is this there is this piece of when you walk into a store and you see Hanukkah displayed, there's a piece of you that feels a connection to to your Jewish identity, even if you don't purchase it. I'm gonna push back there's on still that. something special. <laughs> I'm gonna push back on that. I know uh, multiple people, which I will not name, um, myself concluded to some extent, depending on the context, who will walk by that kind of display and feel like grossed out and like, oh my God, they're just trying to like rope us in to all of those other things. Hanukkah is like the one of the least important holidays. Why has it become so commercialized? Like last year, I wrote a column about uh, this exact theme because we were talking about Hallmark uh, Jewish movies, which are becoming thankfully a little more Jewish, but last year were not 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 as Jewish. Um, and at the local grocery store in my neighborhood at the time, which was like a pretty Jewish part of Toronto, they had a Christmas tree, and underneath it, they had like a Happy Hanukkah wrapped gift. And I was like, there is so much wrong with this. And I can't help but think like as people who make this type of merchandise, and it sounds like your intentions are very like pure and really to get people to like be excited about Jewish in a very raw and Jewish way. But when we think about that other type of merchandise, it's creating what could become the future of Judaism for many people. Like I once had a roommate who his only connection was like his Hanukkah dinner with his family, who was, is an interfaith family. And he had like the ho-ho Hanukkah or whatever those types of sweaters are. And he was like, what do you mean? Hanukkah is like, exactly like Christmas because it's this big dinner and it's this big this. And I was like, I haven't really done a big Hanukkah dinner with my family since I was a child. Like I'll go to a party if I'm invited to one, but like I definitely don't see it as like the pinnacle of my whole Jewish identity. So there's a lot of responsibility there. And to me, that makes me a little bit nervous if we're only putting our focal point on this one holiday as opposed to all of them and not even keeping it as our own. Then it becomes like this commercialized thing and less about the actual holiday. Well, this brings us back to authentic merchandise versus what I think is inappropriate merchandise. And this year, more than ever, there is a significant and disturbing increase in the number of items that are sold as, and I put in quotation marks, for Hanukkah that are not for Hanukkah. I've been to about 30 stores in the past three weeks. Um, with the sole intention of seeing what Hanukkah offerings they have. And last night, last night reached a new level. Uh, last night, I was in a national retailer, and uh, one of the main parts of their Hanukkah display was a Happy Hanukkah Christmas tree light-up ceramic ornament. I got to say, 
But this stuff, I don't know, this stuff doesn't bother me at all. Because in a, in a way, um, when I see a piece of Judaica that I have no connection to that feels like, oh my God, like this was certainly not intended for me. And I don't even know, I don't even recognize the kind of person who this is intended for. That actually makes me feel good because it makes me feel like the Jewish community is larger than just the people who I know. I often, I mean, maybe you feel like this also. I often feel like I know all the Jews. Like, I know everybody. It's the same people. Like, it's a sitcom. Like, I just keep going back to the same people over and over again. And, like, that feels very constricting. And when I see a piece of Judaica that actually I don't relate to at all, it makes me feel like, oh, I'm actually part of this, like, larger society that has these totally different elements. Now, I was going to say, like, what I compare it to is um, there is a report by um, the Chida uh, in, the, in the, I think, the 18th century who wrote this travelogue. He kind of traveled around collecting money for Israel all over the place, traveled to all kinds of different countries. I think he travels to India at some point. And he goes to India and he meets these people and he's like, are you Jews or are you something else? Like, they're so far from any experience of Judaism he's ever had that he doesn't even, he can't even tell if they're Jewish or not. And, like, that's that's actually kind of powerful. Like, there's something powerful about um, having a culture, having a religion that is so broad and so um, so varied that you almost can't recognize different aspects of it. So I'd like to push back a bit. I think that some of the merchandise that we're seeing this year that that I really do believe is truly inappropriate. I don't want to see that as Hanukkah of the future. And I know that once it's on the shelves, there's no place to go but shopping carts. So I do I, I do hope that retailers make better decisions, ideally by next week, um, by removing the merchandise, but if not, then by next year. And I'm just so tired of seeing Hanukkah gnomes and Hanukkah advent calendars and Hanukkah stocking hangers. I didn't even know what a stocking hanger was. <laughs> I just, I want to jump in here and sort of say, you know, as someone who lives in Calgary, I can't even find Hanukkiah candles in, in Calgary, let alone a mensch on the bench. Where could someone who wants to purchase stuff, ethical Jewish stuff, maybe made by Jews, designed by Jews, shipped by Jews, arriving at your Jewish doorstep, where can I go to find these Hanukkiah, um, these Hanukkiah um, gifts? So there's a website, moderntribe.com, and I believe they ship to Canada as well. Um, and they really support a lot of local, a lot of small businesses and, and Jewish artists. And um, Davitsvi, I believe you also have some items with them as well. They sell my merchandise too. And it's sort of, I, I consider it a little bit like a Jewish Etsy. This has been a great conversation. Uh, Yael, David Svi, thanks so much for coming on. Um, I hope we can guys can get you guys back on uh, this next summer to discuss the dearth of like Tish Above merch and how we can rectify that. Um, so uh, maybe we can have that conversation then. Sounds great. Now it's time in the show for our Nachas of the Week, that thing that makes us feel newish, Jewish, goodish over the past week. Um, David, what's your Nachas this week? Okay, so by now you both know, and I'm sure much of our listenership knows, my love of sports. Of all things sporting. Yes, yes of course. Yes. So what is the biggest sporting event happening right now? Oh, it's um, definitely not FIFA World the Cup. Wrong person. <laughs> it is definitely the World Cup in Qatar. And I just thought, you know, aside from all the terrible human rights violations that have led to the death of thousands of migrant workers, its terrible record for queer rights, and a host of other problems, I thought, let's have some Jewish pride for all the Jews playing on and off the field. So I want to give a shout out, a nachas out to Matt Turner. 
Matt Turner is a New Jersey native. His father is Jewish. His mother is Catholic, but he identifies more with the Jewish traditions. And Turner's teammate on defense is DeAndre Yedlin. He is a Seattle native who was raised Jewish, but also practices Buddhism. And Yedlin, if you've been watching, actually has a large Hebrew tattoo on his right shoulder in honor of his great-grandparents. Now, are you familiar, you know, with the very famous, um, the long goal calls called goal? Yes. Have you heard that? You've yes. heard that, uh, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> who do you think came up with that? Who was the original creator for that expression? He is the Chazan himself, the Urchazan. <laughs> the the Urchazan indeed named Andres Cantor, an Argentinian Jewish announcer who popularized this famous tradition. He also is a six-time Emmy Award winner, and he is joined by one of his mentees, two-time Emmy nominee Sammy Sadovnik, who has been with Telemundo since 2007 and covered sports since 1989. He is also a proud Jew from Peru who actually visits Israel every year. So I am giving all the nachases out to all these wonderful Jewish superstars in Qatar. Get home safe. You should hear this cantor sing the Musaf, right? He goes, Kadosh, Kadosh. It takes like an hour to get through the Kadusha, but uh, that's a different story. He needs to do Alana. that during, during FIFA. <laughs> what is your nachas? Okay, this might be one of my favorite nachases ever. Um, the forward posted this on their Instagram. Now that we have this new technology, the OpenAI ChatGPT, they decided to test the chatbot and put it to the test by asking it to create the plot of some Hanukkah movies. I'm going to read out loud one of them. They posted a bunch of them on their Instagram. And if you are in the need of a laugh, I highly recommend checking it out. So this one, they wrote to the AI, write me a synopsis of a Hallmark holiday romantic comedy about Hanukkah involving a time-traveling Maccabee who visits the future. This is what the bot wrote. In the year 165 BC, Judah Maccabee and his army are celebrating their victory over the Greek army and the rededication of the temple in Jerusalem. However, as the festivities come to an end, Judah is mysteriously transported to the future where he finds himself in the midst of a modern-day Hanukkah celebration. At first, Judah is confused and disoriented by the strange new world he finds himself in. But with the help of a kind-hearted young woman named Rachel, he begins to adjust to his new surroundings. As they celebrate Hanukkah together, Judah and Rachel discover that they have a very strong connection. However, their relationship is complicated by the fact that Judah is a time traveler and must eventually return to his own time. Despite the challenges that they face, Judah and Rachel are able to find love and happiness during Hanukkah. In the end, Judah returns to his own time, but not before leaving a lasting impact on the future and reminding Rachel of the true meaning of Hanukkah, hope, resilience, and the power of faith. A bot wrote that. How weird is I that? Love it. I love it. I think the most plausible thing about this is that the bot understands that you cannot have a Jewish rom-com without, without the female the protagonist named, named Rachel. Rachel. Check it out, people. <laughs> it's good fun. All right. So uh, my nachas this week is that I I was driving on the Dakari Expressway and um, I drive by a massive piece of graffiti and the massive piece of graffiti actually says Jew Lives Matter. 
um, there is a there's a drawing of Kanye being like punched and uh, it's like shut up Kanye or something. Um, I did a little digging. Turns out it is actually somebody that I know. Uh, I will not give out his real name. He is a famous graffiti artist in Montreal. He goes by the name Aper, A-P-E-R. Um, you can check out his Instagram a- at Aperism. Uh, there's a picture of the piece up there. Um, it is beautiful. Uh, I don't I'm not going to get into uh, what the symbolism behind this or not because uh, if we think that White Lives Matters is a problem, maybe Jew Lives Matters is, uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, I see Alana also kind of going, maybe, but it's a beautiful piece. Um, I like it. Um, I think that it actually uh, means well, and it is, uh, go check it out. I think that public graffiti sometimes, uh, often, is a great idea. On a melancholy note, before we leave you uh, for the week, it brings me no pleasure to announce that this is the last week for the current lineup of Mojur Chai. Uh, Alana and David are busy cooking something up for the CJN. I cannot wait to hear about it. I am sure it will be amazing. I will miss our weekly get-togethers, our loving disagreements, our impromptu sing-alongs. David will be here next week, uh, so let's save our farewells for him until then. But Alana, this is your last week. Um, Do you have any memories you want to share? Any ideas? Well... Um, I mean, I can't help but think back to like before all of this started. And I think we talked about this story in one of our year recaps in the past. But I remember when Avi called me up and I had never met him before. We talked on the phone. I was living in Vancouver and pitched the idea of the show to me. I'd never done a podcast. And this is like my biggest confession, which I don't know if I've ever made on the show. I had listened to one podcast ever before getting on Bonjour High. I now listen to many more. No, no, it didn't exist. She was a time traveling host of the (laughs) podcast. She traveled into the future to hear all these episodes. No, it was actually David Tennant does a podcast. Um, And uh, I listened to it on a long, long bus ride. And I was like, oh, I now I understand why people kept telling me that I would probably really like podcasts. But anyway, um, I now listen to many podcasts and it was a big learning curve. It was a whole different ball game. We had Melissa on the show. I was like really scared about if I was able to vocalize my opinions. And so for me, it's been a really big learning curve just on a personal note to be able to break free of that. Um, to be able to express my opinions more freely, to learn a lot. I have talked to so many incredible and interesting people from all over the country and out of the country over these, I don't know, how long has it been? Two years? Almost every single week. And, you know, it's been uh, very educational and has definitely opened me up a lot um, as a person. Um, And I'm very grateful for the time that I had on the show. And I also am very excited to continue doing this podcast journey. Um, David and I are working on an arts podcast. That's all we're going to say for now, but hopefully we'll be able to come back on uh, some point um, in the new Goyesha year to maybe give a little trailer, to give a little um, sneak peek to what we're we're cooking up, but we're not going anywhere. So fear not, if you enjoyed uh, listening to David and I, we're going to utilize all of our artistry and bring you something different. Alana, we we are so going to miss you, you guys. You automatically have a carte blanche. Uh, you are on anytime you want, anytime you have something to share. Um, right. Please do come back on the show. We are going to miss you. Uh, David, we'll save our goodbyes for next time. But um, good. until then... We will see you soon. I will see you in Shul, Alana. Um, see you in Shul. That's about it. <laughs>
Thank you for listening to Bonjour Chai for the week ending December 10th, Shabbat Parashat Vayishlach. The show is produced and edited by Zach Kaufman. The executive producer for CJN Podcasts is Michael Freeman. Our music is by SoCalled. We are a project of the Jewish Living Lab and are distributed by the CJN Podcast Network. You can listen to all our past episodes on our page at thecjn.ca slash bonjour, and you can subscribe to the podcast and automatically receive all episodes on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love it if you told a friend about Bonjour Chai. Of course, as always, it is one of the best ways we get new listeners. And of course, you can email us. Please do email us with comments at bonjour at the cjn.ca. For the last time as a team, I'm Avi Feingold. I'm Ilana Zakon. And I'm David Sklar. The Dunfield Retirement Residence offers customized living options to complement your independent, active lifestyle. Welcome home. Welcome to the Dunfield. Visit us at thedunfield.com to book a personal tour.